0: Hello and welcome to MetaChemistry. This is episode 12, where we will be doing another list building episode and analyze the two-list format in the ITS. But first I want to talk about first principles and first principle thinking and how they can be applied to the game of infinity. Here is what I mean. A first principle is a foundational proposition or assumption that stands alone. We cannot deduce first principles from any other proposition or assumption. First principle thinking is one of the best ways to reverse engineer complicated problems and unleash creative possibility. Sometimes called reasoning from first principles, the idea is to break down complicated problems into basic elements and then reassemble them from the ground up. This kind of reasoning has adherents that go back at least as far as the philosopher Aristotle and is advocated now by the likes of the entrepreneur Elon Musk. Mike Lombardi, a former NFL executive, when illustrating the importance of first principle thinking in the game of football, observes that, quote, not everyone that's a coach is really a coach. Some of them are just play stealers. He continues saying, every play we see in the NFL was at some point created by someone who thought What would happen if the players did this and then went out and tested the idea? Since then, thousands, if not millions of plays have been created. That's part of what coaches do. They assess what's physically possible, along with the weaknesses of the other teams and the capabilities of their own players. And then they create plays that are designed to give their team an advantage. The coach reasons from first principles. In this case, the rules of football are the first principles. They govern what you can and cannot do. Everything is possible as long as it's not against the rules. The play stealer works off of what already has been done, by and large just copying something that someone else created. Lombardi points out that while both the coach and the play stealer start from the something that already exists, they generally have different results. These two people look the same to those watching the game from the outside in most of the time. But when something goes wrong, the difference shows. Both the coach and the play stealer call successful plays and unsuccessful plays. Only the coach, however, can determine why a play was successful or unsuccessful and figure out how to adjust it. The coach, unlike the play stealer, understands what the play was designed to accomplish and where it went wrong, so he can easily course correct. The play stealer has no idea what's going on. He doesn't understand the difference between something that didn't work and something that plays into the other team's strengths. This concept of reasoning from first principles invites some interesting diagnostic questions when thinking about how you build two lists for any given tournament you will be participating in do you have a concept of what your first principles are when designing a list do you have a sense for what you are trying to do or are you borrowing someone else's ideas do you assess your faction's capabilities and weaknesses when tackling the problem that is the mission you have to cover do you understand what your list with all its component parts, is designed to accomplish? Can you determine what makes it successful or unsuccessful? Are you able to adjust when you are getting disappointing results? Or at the end of the day, do you just chalk it up to bad dice or a bad faction and move on to a new list? Again, I ask, what are your first principles when you build a list? For infinity. But before we go further, let's pause for a moment to thank Mythic Games for sponsoring the podcast. Mo Games is an online supplier of all things infinity. As part of the sponsorship of Meta Chemistry, Mo will be providing a discount code to its store available to all our patrons, as well as a $40 gift card that will be raffled off to our community once a month. Make sure you like our Facebook page and join our Discord. To ensure you are entered to win. So let's check in with our lineup for our episode. Our lineup tonight is Nathan, Devin, and myself. Let's start with Nathan. Nathan, what's going on? What are you thinking about these days with Infinity and
1: what are your thoughts? For just Infinity General, I have picked up both TAC and US Ariadna. I'm going to give both of those a fair shake at some point. I'm also waiting on my knights to show up so I can work on that. So I've probably bitten off more than I can chew this season, but whatever. As for your opening, I definitely think that at least in our meta, the way we play is kind of, we kind of dissect everything after the game. I think that gives a lot of us more of the coach aspect in that we can help the other player see what kind of went wrong rather than just like, oh, it was bad dice. And I think that if you don't have the ability to be your own coach, it's useful to be able to help someone else in that way.
0: Yeah, that's a big deal. We were talking prior to recording, and I was just reflecting on my own journey and how having different veteran players in my life or during my evolution as a player was a big component in me leveling up over the last few years and kind of attaching yourself to some folks that know the game and can help you understand the game. I think it's a really big deal in evolving as long as you're humble and you're willing to listen and learn from them. Also on tap, we've got Devin, Devin, you've been running around, doing a lot of stuff on the interwebs with our discord and playing some games and coaching some people remotely and i'm just wondering how you're doing with infinity these days
2: yeah i guess one of my main focuses game related right now is our our local meta we've got kind of a painting challenge like nothing at stake or anything just kind of a way to encourage each other to get some stuff done that maybe we could have been doing over the last year and haven't necessarily done so i'm trying to get some more paints on my oss stuff Working in an, on Andromeda right now, so that should be fun when she's all finished. Because I see myself playing her a lot more.
1: I feel judged, Devin, regarding the painting. I started the thing, and I didn't get my first week's goal done. I just I've had zero inspiration to
2: paint. I keep looking at it. And I'm like, nah. I got my first week done. Week two, I'm mostly on track. Like she's got her base coats done.
0: I love the look of your OSS with the gold highlight. Well, oh, thanks, man. That's really good. So, yeah, we've got on tap tonight. We're going to be talking about the two list format in ITS. And what we mean by this is generally when you play in the ITS system and you play in a tournament, whether that's three games, four games, five, or maybe even six, you generally will be given the option of bringing two lists to that tournament that are the two that you have available to you that have pre approved, passed the checklist. So you have those available to you to accomplish the different missions that are slated for a given tournament. This is a pretty classic formulation, but I thought we could start with a conversation on how does this two-list format fit within the larger like gaming world, the tabletop game? I don't have the breadth of background with other tabletop games. I don't know if this is common or not, if it's unique to what we're doing. Maybe, Nathan, you could kick us off with how you see the two-list format for tournament play as a part of Infinity play itself out.
1: I think it's fairly unique to Infinity, or at least maybe up until recently it was pretty unique to Infinity. I used to be a pretty heavy GW tournament player, and I don't remember ever having a two-list option Though, I mean, I could just be my area didn't run them, so I'm not saying that's not impossible. The closest thing I can think of would be like a magic card sideboard, where like before the game you can kind of play with your sideboard to go into a specific match. I think that's the closest I can
2: kind of parallel that. That's immediately where my mind went to as well. I mean, the application's a little bit different, but that's basically the overarching idea, is that you're typically playing multiple games against the same person, Like they're two out of three matches usually. And so in between matches, you can swap things out of your current deck with your sideboard. And then, you know, that hopefully gives you some sort of an edge or some extra tech to deal with your opponent in that game. But then you reset at the beginning of your next match.
0: So Devin, when you think about the two list format for Infinity, what do you think are some of the hallmarks of that? And what makes that an interesting structure for how we do tournaments?
2: I find it interesting because there's a couple different ways that you can actually apply to list formatting. I feel like the kind of go-to or the most obvious application is based on breaking down the missions that you're going to be playing and say, okay, well, I have these missions in front of me, these, let's say five missions. And so I want to try and break them as close as I can into two parts so that I can have This list is going to excel at these missions and my other list will handle the others. I think that's probably the most common way we see that used, but you can use that in a lot of ways. You can use that based on if you're, say, going to see open versus dense tables, because you get to know the table layout before you pick your list. You get to know your enemy's faction before you pick the list. Um, You get to know your classifieds before you pick the list. So you can kind of build around those aspects as well. Like, let's say, you know, oh, I'm planning here's if we see a dense board and here's if we see an open board. And so maybe you play a lot with your range bands or maybe you have more war bands or more drop troops or things like that to take advantage of one style versus the other. Or maybe you have a specialist heavy list. And, you know, if you have more classifieds, you know, you can grab that list instead. So there's a couple different ways you can utilize this format.
0: I think that what you just did for us was helpful in articulating what I was calling first principles. And when you have a concept of what you're trying to build your list around fundamentally from the beginning, from the ground up, it goes a long way in conditioning your thinking and how then you apply your overarching strategy. So generally, I would say for many, if not most, the mission is the first principle. However, you just described a couple other variants that also could be first principles like open versus dense tables or faction specific countering certain factions or skills. Maybe there are different objectives that you have in mind with your list building. And so this kind of transitions us into the first kind of point that I would love to have a conversation about regarding these two lists format is What is your general philosophy towards the two-list format? Let's go with Nathan first. Like, when you approach
1: a tournament, do you have a general philosophy that you orient your list building around? When I first started Infinity, my general philosophy towards the two-list format was I would have one army to play the missions. And then my second list would be if I was going to face Steel Phalanx or Toha. Mm Mm-hmm. Because back in the day, Toha were very susceptible to fire. Fire is also good against ODD. And then I would run a bunch of MSV2. Because I used to have a lot of difficulty with those armies when I first started. This is like 2012, 2013 or something. So I think that that was probably my starting philosophy, was that I'm going to have an army to anti an army that really wrecks me. And from there, I went to a philosophy of... I am going to split those missions into two, not necessarily equal parts, but I'm going to have a general mission list for objectives, shooting things. And then I'm going to have the special list, which you know could be the special decapitation list that has a whole bunch of infiltrators, or it could be the special terrain skill list for rescue, a special list that makes it easy for me to get out of the biotech war zone. You know, those weird missions that have, that would just benefit from having specialized troops in them was generally where I would put my second list. Nowadays, I think that I build my second list to do like Devin was saying, I build it for the table. If I'm playing an army that doesn't already do that, I think my Shaz lists pretty much work on any kind of table just naturally. But a lot of other lists, if you hit an open table, that list is in deep trouble, so I need to have an open list table and then a more dense list table. Uh, and That's kind of how I go nowadays is based on table rather than opponent or rather than mission.
0: That's really interesting. Devin, how about you engage with that a little bit and maybe
2: share your own thoughts and your own approach? I would say typically, for me, it ends up being mission-based because I find that a very common thing, at least in our meta, I mean, obviously that could be different elsewhere, but there's usually... In fact, I would say almost always a mission that's intentionally thrown in to kind of gum up the works. And there's some, you know, like Nate was saying, some sort of rescue, countermeasures, biotech for, you know, some of those missions that are just really want you to kind of specialize into accomplishing those missions. And there's almost always at least one of those. So I find that that's probably the most common one is that this list is going to deal with the oddball mission, maybe one of the other missions, and then the other list is a more generalized list that can handle the other you know, three missions or what have you. That typically been my experience.
0: You know, the only thing I would add to this kind of opening conversation is I think whether or not there are five games versus three is a big deal to me. So in a single-day, three-game tournament, I find there's less likely that you're going to have one of those SKU missions, or it's kind of easier to maybe dial in around countering certain factions or engaging in what, like Nathan was saying, having a list that can handle a variety of different table setups. But I haven't gone to any five-game tournaments where there wasn't at least one mission that required some degree of specialized attention so i generally put together general lists that then i tweak towards the missions making sure i have the component parts i'm fortunate that i play a faction that usually has everything i would usually need even in a general list but in five mission tournaments, I do find it's pretty tough to get away from having to, like, tailor to one, if not two, specialized missions. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about mm-hmm.
1: that. Where I kind of switched from going from the crazy mission to more table-based is after I would either win or lose one of those weird missions, like Rescue or Biotech for, or some of the other strange ones, I would sit and I'd think about the game afterwards, and it was either... I didn't need as much terrain skill as I thought I was going to need to make this rescue list work. But damn, that table was so open that I just got mowed down going across it. Or it always ended up being, man, that link team just had line of sight for me all the way across the table. And I had more trouble getting rid of that to get across the table than I did not having enough of this specific type of unit to do this mission.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, In the most recent Krug, I took a loss to Andrew from Wyoming. In the first round, and it was a real good, close-fought game, but I definitely hamstrung myself by picking a list that I had tailored towards that particular mission, and it ended up being on Rob Brock's old table, the cardboard. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah,
1: the foam core one. I keep trying to take out and burn, and he won't let me.
0: Yeah, that one. And I had brought my Marut, and the whole list was completely handicapped. Because of how that table basically functions and reflecting back, I'm like, gosh, I really boxed myself in by being so dialed in on the mission that I wasn't able to adjust to the table layout.
1: Well, like the game that me and Ian had just played recently, I was playing my military orders and I thought in my head, we were playing the mission with the panoplies and I need to pull things out of panoplies. So I'm like, I don't need specialists. So I put down an army that had, like, two specialists in it. And I ended up winning that game. And at the end of the game, I was like, this table was more of a factor than me only having two specialists. We were supposed to play acquisition. So I needed specialists, and I needed to hold positions. And at the end of the game, it was like, it ended up being, like, this table was a bigger factor than building a list for the wrong mission. So I don't know if that's just my big brain moment, or it's just easy for me to start building that way, and even when I'm playing Rescue, I feel like I can still get this mission done. Maybe I don't score 10 points to get the full maximum, but I'm still going to be able to play this mission with my basic list, but there's always, like, you go up to a table that's just bare, just bare nothing on it, and it's just a heartbreaking feeling when you've got nothing but Spitfires. Mm -hmm. And you just know that you're going to have to dig all the way through that table, taking casualties all the way up. And I think that, uh, at least for me, having that second list that plays in that different kind of style, that longer range for the most more open tables, or it could even be like, you know, AD troops or whatever, like we've talked about, just a different approach to a table that's a little more open, more smoke or whatever. That being said, I don't necessarily think that I've found like the top end big brain scheme here. I think that any of these ways of building a second list is valuable if that's the one that you need, right? If Toha is just wrecking you, or Pano Tags are wrecking you, and you run that second list to just feel comfortable playing against that, that's the best choice for you. If Rescue is just the most brutal mission for you, or Looting and Sabotage, if that mission just, you cannot figure that mission out without that second list, do that. Right? And if you're worried about open tables, do that. Certain armies will be able to do certain things better. So that you don't necessarily need to do the open table one because your army is already fine with open to closed tables, right? Then you can choose a different one. So, like, I'm not trying to say there is a right or wrong answer, just that there are many answers.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I would even extend that a little bit further and say kind of like Ian's mantra about always practicing towards your mission and getting your reps in. Sometimes I found that lists that I tailored towards a particular mission weren't always necessary to be that tailored, like a more generalist list could ultimately be just as viable. I just had that experience over the winter here when I was practicing on Panic Room. I found that early on I tailored hard into that mission, but the more I leaned into my more general lists, actually the more successful I became over the course of four or five practice games. And when you realize, okay, I can get away with a more general list, then that frees up some other possibilities to approach things like table density or faction-specific counters, that sort of thing. Anybody
1: else have any further
0: thoughts on this particular topic?
1: My last thought is you don't always need a second list. The most common thing that I hear at the end of a big tournament, like a rumble tournament, when someone has lost the game is they go, I played the wrong list for that. I picked the wrong list. And I've done it myself a a ton of times. Like, man, if I'd have played that other list. So I think there is something very valuable in just bringing one list, training with just one list, especially if you're new, just having one list. So while there is a two-list format, it's not always the right choice.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Like The fact is, the more comfortable you are with your particular list, the likely the better you're going to do. So if you've got something that you're really dialed in on, there's been plenty of people that have won big tournaments with just a bog-standard list that they just run all the time. It's diverse enough to handle most missions, and they just do fine.
1: Yeah, I think that's super valuable, especially for that new player coming in, going to their first tournament. Like, don't give yourself extra things to worry about, you know? Even if that list isn't super good for that crazy mission like Rescue or something, you know what? Just practice that mission anyway. Know the weaknesses of that list. Play it anyway. Especially if you're not striving for top table. Like, play something that's comfortable and fun for you to play, and you'll do better than having a second list that you don't know and don't know how to play well.
0: Yeah, you know who used to be a big advocate of this approach was Dexter back on the old Metachemistry, the original podcast. He would just run one list.
1: Yep, absolutely. And he would crush. (laughs) Back then, we didn't have some of the crazier missions that like he wouldn't even be able to do with his all remote ISS lists.
2: But it's a valuable take. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said for streamlining your decision making. That's definitely a viable way you could go because then that just takes it out of the equation entirely. For better or worse, I suppose. But that's one less point of failure that you can run into. So there is that.
0: Okay, let's transition to the next talking point. So how do you go about analyzing The mission requirements. What are the things that you're looking at with the hallmarks of how you construct
2: a list built around missions? Generally speaking, they're gonna fall into a couple types of objectives, or in some cases lack of objectives, I guess, for something like annihilation or what have you. So there's your missions that incentivize killing enemy models, like annihilation or decapitation or similar. There's missions that encourage you to hold ground, like supremacy or frontline. There's button pushing missions, something like acquisition, I guess you could say supplies falls into that category. So it's a matter of kind of breaking down those objective types and then seeing what sort of tools do you need to handle those? And also kind of as an overall tournament level, kind of seeing, okay, well, with this spread of missions, how much of these missions each fall into a given category? So maybe you're going to want to have more midfield presence in ground holding missions so that you kind of already have those points there. You have camouflage that makes it easier to hold those. Maybe the mission gives benefits to certain types of specialists like, uh, acquisition rewards, hackers, and engineers, and this season in particular, they've really increased the bonus for having the correct specialists with not only the bonus whip, but the additional roll on top of that. Or, you know, just having things that punch things very hard (laughs) in killing missions. So it's kind of what I would look at is kind of breaking it into those broad categories, and then seeing what tools you need to fulfill those things, and how much of that do you need over the course of the tournament.
1: Nathan, do you have anything to add on that front? The only thing maybe I would add is just digging through your classified deck to make sure that If the missions you have have classifieds, you have some pieces that can take care of, you know, most of that or rely heavily on, you know, secure HVT, but not every mission allows you to do that.
0: Yeah. I was thinking with some of these general categories, there oftentimes can be a lot of crossover. The one area that I think definitely seems to require special attention is in the missions, highly classified and countermeasures i feel like if you don't have the tools the broad range of tools to tackle those two missions in your list you really hamstring yourself from being able to win any
1: thoughts on that i don't usually bring the full gamut what's your workaround stopping your opponent from getting it as well like if it's an engineer one he's got one engineer pop it now he can't get it either one of them has the like kind of rotating system where you can pick something and get rid of it and put a new one in.
0: Yeah, countermeasures.
1: Whenever I build a list that has, like, the full range of everything, I'm just not happy with the list. And it's usually, like, Ariadna bringing trash engineers or bringing trash paramedics and Pano or something. It's like, these don't fit in my list. I don't want them. I'm not going to bring them. Now, that being said, like, if you only bring forward observers, like, you're doomed. (laughs) So you have to have some, right? But I build a list that's going to let me play... And if it doesn't include that like veteran or elite troop, then I won't try and get that one.
0: Yeah, this will get into a point that I want to talk about later in the podcast, and that's analyzing faction-specific strengths and weaknesses. And part of the skill of list building, I would imagine, is being able to analyze what tools you do have at your disposal that are worth putting into a list. And like you said, if you don't have good engineers... Rather than compromise your list to add a bad one, maybe you go null there, but then try to deny.
1: It's just, like, I don't want to spend 40 or 60 points putting things into my list that are literally just there to run and try and grab something if it gets pulled. That, to me, seems like I could spend those points, you know, murdering some of your specialists or taking care of some other things. I used to go over hard to make sure that I had every perfect choice. And some armies are very good at it, like you're saying, But a lot of times, like if it doesn't fit in your list, you know, if you don't have one or two of them or three of them, like just play anyway. Like I was saying earlier, sometimes having just that one list that does, you know, most everything is going to be good enough in the end.
2: Yeah. And it's relevant in those missions because it's not based on how many you get, it's what you get comparative to your opponent. So you just need more of the primary classifieds to get a higher score. So, I mean, Nate's absolutely right. You don't have to cover every instance. That's something that I kind of end up doing anyway. You play Aleph? Yeah, you have an Asura, and she's an elite troop, she has a visor, she is a hacker and so can do, you know, data scan and telemetry, and then the HVT versions of those. And so, you know, all considered you can do somewhere in the ballpark of seven plus classifieds like, okay, well, I'm ready for those sorts of things anyway. But I think to the point that Nate was saying, like if you're just throwing in a trauma doc solely for the purpose of trying to get these classifieds, these aren't even models that are likely to do those tasks well. Or survive long enough to get there. Yeah, they're too soft. They don't have a way to get there efficiently. You know, all kinds of reasons. So there kind of comes a point where you over-specialize to your own detriment.
0: This gets then to you assess what the mission requirements are, then you begin to tailor. I don't know for me, at least. I mentioned I generally have some templates for some generalist lists. And then I look at a mission, I ask the question, how can I tweak my particular list that I've got here towards better, greater conformity, fidelity to the mission requirement? How do you go about tailoring then? Do you have a prioritization? Are there Specific skills you're looking for? Do you have slots in your list or point costs that you can easily swap out for a variety of different pieces?
2: For me, I tend to do a lot of my list building, I guess, on the fly, you might say. I tend to write new lists. You can't do this inside of a tournament, of course, but whenever I'm playing a pickup game, I almost always write a new list. I very rarely play the same list multiple times, which is probably to my detriment to some extent, but it's just something I like exploring. So when I'm doing some sort of prep work like this, I think that the main things is kind of getting an aggregate of where the point's coming from in this tournament, how much of it relies on being able to hold certain areas, how much of it relies on being able to grab certain objectives with certain types of specialists or not, things like that, and kind of using that to kind of balance out what that necessitates in the list. So I think the easiest way to start for me is just where are the majority of the points coming from? And that'll kind of inform what sorts of tools are going to be the most valuable.
1: When I select an army to play for a season, I tend to look through that army and I tend to build what I call the list. And that list has everything I need to play almost every mission or every mission, depending on, you know, how good they are at that aspect. And it it usually goes through like two or three iterations. So I have like a 1.0, 2.0. And then from there I take that list and I play it a whole lot and I play that weird mission and I see if if it's going to work in that mission. And if it works in that mission, I've tailored it because I've played it and I know how it's going to work. If it doesn't, say my normal U.S. Ariadne list trying to blow up an AC-2. That's not going to work. So I need new options. So then I will switch things around, change profiles around, move things around, so that it will do that, but it still holds to that core of this is mostly the same list. That being said, like, every once in a while, I'll just build a list. I'm like, you know what? I think this list will be really good for this mission. I'm going I'm to give this a try. But in general, I have a core of these are the models that I feel make this list something I want to play both thematically and rules wise. And it just feels right to me to put it on the table. And I actually, I won't play a army until I find that list, mm-hmm. which is why there's a bunch of armies that I won't play. Cause I can't build that list that feels right to me, but it's just a matter of taking that list, playing that mission and going, Oh, I absolutely have to have more of you know, this skill. How do I make that work? Tweaks, small tweaks, small changes, profile flops, drop a guy, add a guy, small things like that to kind of custom tailor the core of my list to fit that extra mission.
0: What do you think about the idea of cross-mission skills? So I know Ian's a big advocate of this. He'll oftentimes talk about how he will find a unique profile like the mob lot or the metro or one of his chasseurs with all the adhesive like he loves to talk about adhesives and how he was able to utilize that skill in hunting party but then also in a different mission and leverage those skills do you look for common denominators that then you go oh i can leverage this particular profile in a couple different missions in a unique way
1: I'll usually do that in terms of, like, finding that kind of super specialist that can do a lot of classifieds. Like, Zan Ying Hacker, Tech. It may just be a regular guy or a Ford Observer or something, but then it also has maybe D-Charges, which is kind of an interesting thing to have. Something like that, but I don't, like, I don't hunt down something that I'm like, this is going to work great in both armies. I'll do that for other people. I'll be like, you know what, if you take these and just run all of them, This is going to be great. But I don't usually do that for my own lists to try and find something that's, you know, effective for both.
2: I think for me, it just it's something that kind of naturally finds its way into my list because I'm a big fan of multi-purpose units and I tend to play most of the time. If I have a specialist, it's not the 12, 14 point doctor, you know, line troop unit. It's going to be something like if I'm playing Rama, it's going to be something like a Kuwaiti's doctor or something like that. Something that's going to do more than just push buttons and pick people up. Like it's a solid combatant on its own or Parvati in uh, Starmata and OSS. Things like that, where they're going to have other functions besides just do this objective. So because I tend to take those sorts of profiles, I think that just kind of naturally happens a lot of times where oh well yeah i mean this unit is solid in this mission because you know it has this toolkit but it's great in this other mission because it's also you know this specialist or multiple specialist types and so it just kind of happens that way i think in a lot of my lists
0: that speaks to prioritization and so like devin when you prioritize multi-purpose units that then shifts and conditions the kinds of lists you are able to build. And you're oftentimes more comfortable with denser, smaller, more elite lists that don't have as many orders per se. Absolutely. So there's always like that give and take. So let's talk a little bit about prioritizing. How much do you prioritize orders for your list building? Like how much do you prioritize SWC? How much do you prioritize a variety of different roles? Or how much do you prioritize just having the thing that you just are really comfortable with? And
2: like Nathan, you were talking about your list that does what you want it to do. For me, I think that while it doesn't give me as much practice with how a specific list functions, I think jumping around and grabbing lots of different profiles all the time makes me a little bit more comfortable playing most units in a given faction that I run. So I don't tend to worry about my comfort level with the faction very much because it's usually at a more holistic level I guess you'd say compared to an individual list so I think the things that end up being most important for me are I think I would start with what do I need to do the mission as far as orders goes as long as I fill out a combat group I'm usually happy enough so that's not a big deal for me this is
0: heresy for some people I just want to say
2: oh I know I'm gonna hear it from Chainsaw
0: yeah that's right like Tim will give it to you.
2: Why don't you have at least six, eight point or less orders in your list? But yeah, so it's just something I tend to be more comfortable with. I certainly play multi-combat group lists at times, but usually I don't have a problem playing whip insertion. It certainly doesn't feel like a handicap to me, but yeah, so orders are not high on the list and... Probably more to the point of upsetting those people that build these sorts of lists is SWC is not a factor for me at all. Like, I just get the weapons that I feel like I want to have in the list, but I sometimes, you know, if I spend two SWC, I'm okay with it if I like the list. Like, maybe I have enough Mark 12s, maybe I have more midfield units or other things that don't necessarily cost a ton of SWC that doesn't bother me either. It's mostly about, do I have the units that have the tools, skills, equipment, weapons, etc. to do what I need to do, as opposed to, you know, did I hit exactly 300 points? Did I hit exactly 6 SWC? Did I hit all 15 order slots? Those sorts of things are certainly a secondary for me personally. How about you, Nathan? I don't really have priorities when I'm
1: Building a list, I usually just have some like checkoffs when I'm done building a list just to make sure that I've hit like kind of the important pieces for me I don't necessarily know that any of them are above others. When I'm building a list, I try to hit 15. My philosophy in the game has always been that more orders is more better and I think that the fact that it's been dropped to 15 orders and I'm such a strong proponent of that means that Hitting that 15 orders is very important for me because I need some redundancy if I start losing models. I need to have more things on the table if I lose five guys in the first turn that I don't feel, like, just physically feel like I can't win this game anymore. Like, just my mental, like, shattered. So I build to 15. Or sometimes 13 if I'm really liking where it's going. Or if I'm just playing, if I'm specifically trying to play limited insertion, I'll do that.
0: You damn well better get it to 15 after all the advocating you did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that 15 regular orders, 15 troops in the combat group, so you can go over with impetuous is extremely valuable. I think there's a lot of like just redundancy and like orders are still king, and I argue that the lower they drop the maximum order count, the more important each one of those orders is. That being said, like, I love playing limited insertion. If I'm just either trying to gimmick list, like a paint, like the knight's paint train, or if we're in agreement and we just play limited insertion, I think those games are very fun. But if we're talking about tournaments, I build the 15 orders. And then at the end, I'm going to check through the missions that I'm doing. Make sure I can do them. Like I said, like if I'm playing US Ariadna and I know that I have to blow up an AC2 and I look through my list and I've got like a dozer with a D charges, that is not going to cut it. So I need to figure out how to make sure I'm going to win that. So it's kind of a check for the bare minimum for some of those missions. I'll get to the end of the list and I'll think I have a perfect list and I'll realize I has one specialist in it and I'm like, what am I doing? You can't do that. So it's just check things like that. Like if I only have four SWC spent or less, I'll usually go through and be like, is there somewhere with some model that I would enjoy having SWC on. Is it 0.5 to get mine layer on something? Is it worth putting 1.5 on a link team member to add an extra Spitfire to the link team or something? I don't like leaving SWC on the table. I will leave 0.5, that doesn't bother me. But if it gets to the point where I have four spent and I've got two whole SWCs unspent, I'll usually like look around to make sure that I'm very, very confident that I don't need to spend those. And I often will change things around to have that spent. And then, like I said, I usually get to the end of a list and I don't have enough specialists. So I try to make sure that at least for a standard list that I'm hitting that kind of five specialists in the list. So that way I can't get like D specialists in one quick turn Yeah.
0: So I think I lean a little bit more towards Nathan's take in that I skew pretty hard to get as many orders as I can, 14 at minimum. And I'm usually trying to cheat out 16 if I can with various skills. But I think where I differ from both of you is I lean very heavy into lists that I feel comfortable with. So I start with, like I mentioned, I have templates that I work off of, and these are profiles and synergies that I understand and know backwards and forwards and so in almost any situation I know how my list operates and functions and I think part of why I am able to be successful is just I have that stuff locked down I may not know everything across the table for me I may not know all the rules but man do I know my stuff backwards and forwards And I then will throw in and tweak and condition towards a mission, but I really prioritize comfort with what I'm running. And then I would also say that I do look after roles. I think that I always want to have certain kinds of pieces in my list to deal with certain kinds of situations. So I'll give an example. I find in N4 right now, there is a lot more turtling or people going null with their deployment And so if someone does that to me, I want to be able to punish that as hard as I can, as quickly as I can, as efficiently. So I want to have tools at my disposal that can quickly dig you out and put a hurt on you if you null deploy me. Too often at times, I see that in other people's lists that they just don't have the capacity to do that when their opponent turtles up. And I think that that's something I'm always mindful. Like, how am I going to handle this kind of situation or that kind of situation and then at that point then i move towards okay let's tune towards the mission at hand for the tournament so i guess i would prioritize for me it's orders it's familiarity and then it's particular roles for some of
1: my troops i think that especially recently it's been easier to play that kind of elite list than it's ever been before
2: yeah Infor definitely leads to that way, to some extent.
1: I think it's totally viable to try and play that way. I'm too ingrained in the old way. (laughs) It's fair.
0: Okay, finally, let's just turn to some faction-specific strengths and weaknesses. Nathan, you already highlighted Ariadna might not have the tools for certain missions. If it's one of your favorite factions and it doesn't have the tools necessary to... Do certain missions, do you just leave it on the shelf, or do you find a workaround? As you're kind of looking at a couple different Ariadna sub-factions right now, how do you think about factions and their strengths
1: and weaknesses? Let's take U.S. Ariadna as kind of the uh... whipping boy. Yeah, unfortunately. They technically have all the tools to do it, but they may not have them in a package that you necessarily want them in like camo specialists or like just mimetism the things that you really want to send across the table they don't necessarily have what they have is a lot of them cheap the ford observers are just raining down in u.s ariadna you have like your one meh engineer choice you have your one doctor on or off bike you got some good paramedics but there's no like that power specialist troop like a hacktow hacker or, you know, hacker, like, they don't have those, like, those power troops. So they have some issue with maybe playing highly classified. Though, like I said, you can spam the crap out of the specialists. They're usually pretty cheap. So, it's still doable. The Unknown Ranger is not a power specialist, I don't think. He's probably the closest thing to a power specialist that they have. But, to me, he doesn't fit that role quite as much as he fits like a gunfighter who also has a ability to do that. A lot of it is like low whips, you don't have those 14s and 15s that some of the other factions do. But the biggest thing is that mission where you have to hit those D-charges on the AC-2, like they have a lot of trouble with that. You have to either get them out of the box or rely on like the couple of profiles that have D-charges. Whereas other factions can just start on it with something with a D-charge or can run something very powerful up to it very quickly or AD drop on it. They basically do it, but they do it the long way. you know. Or having orders and having a abundance of the specialists is going to help on that. But would I leave them on the shelf? I don't think so. I think I'd still play them. Because like I said in the beginning... I'm finding that building lists more for tables is becoming more advantageous to me than building for missions. So just because they may not be super great at it doesn't mean I don't think that they're going to get that mission done.
2: I guess for me, most of the factions I play tend to be pretty elite. Like I'm playing a fair amount of the in various flavors, NeoTerra, Brahma, combined factions. Most of those kind of have the tools already tacked on to other profiles kind of the opposite of what nate was saying in a lot of ways but that's just kind of how i like to play in general i guess the quasi exception might be neoterra like the machinist for instance is not like a spectacular specialist like he's definitely there to get the job done and the neoterra version being able to join bolt fire teams is really helpful because I've already talked a number of times on how much I like having these specialists already in teams, especially when there's a bulleteer right there to fix. But it's not like it's a heavy infantry engineer of some kind or some super specialist. Does that make me not want to play them in missions? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that it's something that I might have to play a little bit more conservative in some ways. Because if I want to bring a doctor up the table, I might bring like Bapandra or something who can also join a fire team, poor trauma doc, <laughs> or, you know, having the machinist available. But a lot of times, like most of my list will have doctors and engineers just kind of already there. Because most of the time I can have them in a fire team in some way, which I just love doing. And those are kind of usually the tools that I feel like you might miss out on because other types of specialists like forward observers tacked on to all kinds of profiles. Hackers are tacked on to all kinds of profiles. There's heavy infantry hackers, there's camo hackers, there's drop troop hackers. Same thing with forward observers, really. So I think the doctor and engineer are the ones that are not always as freely available by comparison. So those are the ones I kind of gravitate to in terms of are these here or not. But yeah, I think part of it is just playing a little bit more carefully with those units, especially since they're usually AVA1 in this instance. But yeah, I think that they definitely have what they need to get the missions done. It's just, it might be a little bit more fragile of a game plan, I guess you'd say.
0: Yeah, you guys are both more resilient than I am. I would say, even though I only play one faction I will readily move off of like OSS and play vanilla if I'm looking at mind wipe, for instance. Like if I find that I have handicaps for particular missions that are on the slate for a tournament, I will quickly shift to vanilla just because it usually can tackle all the different missions that I need. So I I think I, if I were even more prolific with my factions, I probably would be more susceptible to picking factions for particular tournaments based on missions that are offered but maybe that's just the power gamer in me
1: i mean i think at the top tier of tournament play if the missions don't agree with the army you're thinking about playing i think there's a lot of players who would do that i don't think that's a wrong choice
0: yeah there's something that's appealing about not being conditioned by missions you're gonna push through and win with your faction i appreciate that and value that in both of you
2: It's whatever I feel like playing at the time, and that's the highest priority. (laughs) Do I actually want to play?
1: I play every faction, so it's not like I'm trying to push this specific faction through. I play all the damn factions. It's just whatever I felt playing on the day. And in the
0: end, that's what makes us happy. Okay, I think that's a good place to land for tonight. So before we get to our final thoughts, we do want to remind you of Patreon, that you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. We're really grateful for all our patrons out there helping to make this podcast happen. And I just want you to know that every cent that goes towards our Patreon, we put right back into the podcast for better equipment and just upping the value of this podcast. So we want to say thank you to all our patrons and we love the support that we're getting from you. And if you're interested, check out one of the links that you'll find in the show notes as well as a link to our Discord channel. And speaking of Discord, come join our growing community, super supportive of everything going on in Infinity. We don't just talk strategy and tactics. We also talk hobby. We talk about genre. We get into all sorts of interesting discussions on our page, and we want to welcome you and be a part of what we've got going on there. So with that said, Devin and Nathan, what are your final thoughts?
2: I think one of the most helpful things in terms of deciding which list you choose, assuming you bring both lists, is make sure that you kind of look at all the information that you have available. Because I know one thing that I forget all the time is I don't even tend to draw objectives until people are already setting up pieces on the board. But classified objectives, who you're playing and what faction they're playing, the table, All of those are things you get to know before you pick your list. So take a little bit of extra time, just make sure you get all of those pieces of information because depending on how you're trying to utilize the two list format, that's going to heavily influence what list you end up taking. And so getting the most information you can before you decide is really beneficial.
1: My final thought is you don't have to run two lists. You can just run one. I think there's, a lot of people who would benefit from that.
2: With my final thought, I
0: just would leave you with this idea of dialing in your first principle. If you've listened to this, made it through this whole podcast, you'll recognize that while there are several common themes presented by the three of us, also there's a diversity of opinion and expression of how list building happens. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about infinity is that you can really tailor towards kind of your personality, your strengths, your disposition. The biggest thing I'd say is figure that out for yourself, though. You cannot borrow that from somebody else. You can't just go and say, hey, this worked for all these guys or this particular person that I really admire or whatever, and then think that you can just reproduce that for yourself. Of course, you always want to be humble. You always want to learn from the veterans in your community. But in the end, you really want to dial in. What are you all about? What are your first principles? And then begin to tailor around that. So with that said, this has been Andrew.
1: Devin. And
0: Nathan. And that's the Meta.